Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for joining me. I hope your day is going well. There's certainly enough crazy things going on in the news uh, that would rattle anybody's cage. And we are uh, looking at um, kind of a a new day in the world with the coronavirus and the way it's impacting the global economy. And I've got uh, Dr. Everett Piper coming on the show in just a minute. He's the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and he's a columnist for The Washington Times. I have a real feeling he'll have uh, some things to say about the current events of the day. So uh, let's not waste any more time. Let me take our short little 60-second necessary break, and then we'll bring on Dr. Piper. This Easter season, get to know Jesus on a deeper level through the Faith Radio Easter Reading Plan. Together, we'll read a chapter of the book of John each day. Starting March 24th, we'll learn exactly why Jesus came to earth, how he conquered the grave, and offered us the gift of eternal life. Sign up to read along with us at MyFaithRadio.com and receive weekly emails featuring special content from our show hosts and giveaway opportunities. That's MyFaithRadio.com. If you're new to Faith Radio, welcome. We're a media ministry of the University of Northwestern St. Paul, and connecting faith to life is our focus each and every day, bringing you relevant Bible preaching, family-focused teaching, and compelling conversations to encourage and inspire you in your faith journey. Fresh content and show podcasts are available every single day online at our website, and you can get a schedule of our programs or request a free welcome packet by going to our website at myfaithradio.com. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University and a columnist for the Washington Times. Dr. Piper, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on, Bill. It's always an honor to do yeah, so. Thank you. You know, there's so much news we're trying to process right now. And as a, a news person yourself, when you when you write stories and write, write articles, I know there is that balance of getting the news out and helping people become informed. And then there's that line that gets crossed once in a while where um, too much creates a little bit of overkill and hysteria. Oh, there's no question. Um, We have a virus right now that is, frankly, destroying our culture, and it's not the coronavirus. Uh, You could put whatever label you want on it. You could call it social media. You could call it your iPhone. You could call it the 24-7 news cycle. The virus right now is overstimulation, overcommunication, overkill, and it is hyperbole. It is hysteria. Um, We've all heard you and others comment on the irrationality in the news cycle right now, where you have a virus. Yes, it can be uh, compromised to some people's health, but we know that the percent, the mortality rate is less than SARS and less than MERS, et cetera, et cetera. I don't even want to repeat all that stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. The point is this. The point is this, Bill. As Christians, let's talk about this as Christians. Thank you. Our, 
our responsibility is to be scriptural in the midst of this type of thing. I think of 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's uh, 58, where it says, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Our obligation in the midst of these types of things is to be steadfast, be immovable, and go to Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous, courageous, do not be afraid. The Lord your God is with you. We have an obligation to tell people that it will be okay. The world isn't falling apart. This is not the bubonic plague. This is not the Black Death. This is a virus. It will be okay. And it seems like that's a voice crying in the wilderness right now that very few people want to use their head and use some common sense in responding to this. I feel like I've already gotten my money's worth, but I'm not letting you go. (laughs) Okay. It's just, I mean, what you just said is so powerful and so true. So thank you for starting that way. But you, you also, you know, are told not to overreact, not to be fearful and yet you see the markets plunge and people uh, over shopping at stores for uh, stuff like they've got a hole up for the next six months. You know, you, I don't know if you covered the Dr. Drew story uh, of um, people probably follow Dr. Drew. He's not necessarily I don't know that he's a Christian. I don't even know that he's conservative. But he's got a level head at times. Mm -hmm. He came out the other day and he says the media just needs to shut up. That's his direct quote. The media needs to shut up. This is a crisis that's driven by the media. Now, some, especially conservatives like me and perhaps you and some of the listeners, we suspect that the left is following the direction of Rahm Emanuel and Barack Obama, where they said, quote unquote, never let a good crisis go to waste. And if you don't have a crisis, create one for political gain regardless of the human toll. Is that what's happening right now? I don't know, but I do know it's overblown. It's hysteria. I I tweeted this the other day. I said, context, people, context. Why all of the hysteria? Context. Look at this in the context of everything else that's going on in our culture. Look at it in the context of those that get sick and die from the flu, those that get sick and die from AIDS, those that get sick and die from emphysema because of poor health choices in the case of AIDS and emphysema, not necessarily the flu. Look at the context here and back off, take a deep breath and recognize, especially if you're a Christian, your obligation is not to model hysteria, but to model confidence, courage, steadfastness, immovability, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are common-sense things we can do, but I also am reminded that television um, is a business. And if you can keep the fear nice and high, more people will watch TV nonstop. You know, here's my hope. I'm going to try to be an optimist right now. I love it. I need some optimism. Okay, here's my hope. Here's my hope and prayer that— Sanity will prevail, whether it's today, tomorrow, or a month from now. I don't know. But let's hope and pray by God's sovereign protection that sanity prevails, that we don't have 30,000, 40,000 deaths in the United States like we are going to have with the flu, that it will be less than that, that the rate of infection for coronavirus will start to go down, and that the media will have to report accordingly, and that there will be time for the stock market to rebound, for people to realize, man, was that a stupid way for us to react as a people, as a culture, as a church, and as a society, and hopefully during the political season, um, level heads will prevail, and that we'll have some sanity and some 
healthy movement in the economy so that it isn't all disrupted simply because everybody's panicking and trying to swing the pendulum in the exact opposite direction because that's what we do when we're when we're afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everett, do you remember uh, feeling these strong emotions when the, the, the avian flu was uh, happening or the H1N1 or... You know, you can even go back as far as, you know, the hysteria around Y2K, which was going to shut down the whole world. No. Well, some of the Y2K stuff, uh, there were pockets. But with regard to these other viruses, no. I remember walking through the Toronto airport during the SARS situation. I wasn't concerned at all. I saw some people wearing masks. I thought to myself, well, that's an overreaction. But look at the data as it relates to SARS versus the mortality rates, et cetera, as it relates to uh, the coronavirus. At this point, I would argue statistically, statistically, we have much less to be worried about with regard to coronavirus than we did with SARS. But the media wasn't making a big deal about it. Was it political? Is there political motivation today? Is there an attitude within the mainstream media that hates Trump? And they're following Bill Maher's advice where he says, bring on the bad economy, bring on the recession, celebrate the recession, because this will be what takes down Trump. Is that what's going on? I don't know. But Christians need to be uh, examples of positive confidence rather than hysteria. Yeah. Wow, that's so true. Such a great point, Everett. I'm, I'm going to take a quick break. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest. If you have a question or a comment, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest, columnist at the Washington Times, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And I got a great note from a listener, uh, Everett. He said, uh, Dr. Piper isn't a pastor, but preach, brother, preach. This is why, <laughs> this is why, this is why I love this guy. I appreciate you having him on today. And I thought, are, have you been a, are you a pastor? Have you been a pastor? No, I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. So um, if if you all pay attention, maybe I can work out giving you some college credit for this. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. So uh, let's talk about, I love that line that you gave us. I think it's from 1 Corinthians about being steadfast. And, you know, isn't this an opportunity uh, to show Christ to the world? I mean, can't we start just in our neighborhood? We've got maybe someone who lives down the block who may have a trouble getting out or getting to the grocery store and let me go run errands for you. Let me if you're out and shouldn't be, if you're old and shouldn't be out, let me help to serve you. Exactly. And this is the history of the church. One of the most encouraging things about church history, if you just bother to do a little reading on this or go Google it, is it's the church, meaning church with a capital C, the body of Christ, Christians who stepped into the mix of crises after crises throughout the course of human history and redeemed culture for the good. We were the salt that kept culture from rotting. We were the light that kept people from walking in the dark. And for example, the bubonic plague, who was it that rescued people and took care of people? Mm-hmm. Christians. Christians. During the Roman during the Roman Empire, when children were being left on garbage dumps, they called it exposure. Who went and rescued those children and took care of them? Mm. Christians. 
when women were tre- being treated as chattel and nothing but property for sexual recreation? Who uh, fought against that and who took care of those women, Christians? Who was it that fought for the abolition of slavery and actually successfully uh, eliminated it in Great Britain? William Wilber- Wilberforce and his abolitionist movement. And what was his two-pronged mission statement? The abolition of slavery and the restoration of manners. In today's parlance, that would be the restoration of morality. So it is the body of Christ that has an opportunity. Let's take Rahm Emanuel's quote, never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, let's steal that quote and as a Christian, post it on your refrigerator, on your laptop, on your iPhone, and remind yourself, today, never let this crisis go to waste. Show the compassion, the love, the confidence, the courage, the steadfastness, the immovability of the body of Christ. Never let this crisis go to waste. It's an opportunity. It's yeah. an opportunity for the gospel. And, and for evangelism, I think that's what you included in that, what you just said. But there is pretty easy to have a conversation with somebody. Look what, what's, what's happened in the last month. And if you were to, you know, contract this uh, coronavirus and, and find yourself at, at death's door, um, have you come to uh, a place of being right with God? I was talking to my 25-year-old son who works for a very large church in Indiana, and um, he responded to this. We were bantering back and forth. I won't bore everybody. You you don't have time to hear the whole thing, but I'm so proud of my son, my son Kobe, C-O-B-I, Kobe Piper. He responded to me, and he said, yeah, when you don't understand that this life isn't the end-all and be-all, death is frightening. We don't have to worry about it because God is sovereign. So true. So simple, so true. So simple, so true. Thank you, young 25-year-old, for saying, you know what? God is sovereign. We're fine. Eternity is much more important than the temporal concerns of the day. We need to show the confidence in our eternal significance before the throne of God to our non-believing neighbors. And we will see millions come to Jesus Christ in the midst of crises. Never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it was in uh, 1948, C.S. Lewis wrote on living in an atomic age. And we can take out the word atomic bomb and just put in coronavirus. Um, And here's the last paragraph. He said, this is the the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by a virus, let let that virus, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, Bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about the virus. You know what? I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Can you have your uh, producer send me that uh, link to that quote? Absolutely. Um, I want it because I'm going to write an article and I'm going to use that quote. That's beautiful. It's perfect. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. I mean, I just took out the word atomic bomb in his uh, article and just put in the word virus. Yep. Yep, and, yep uh, but he's absolutely right. Yeah, and his last sentence, uh, Everett, was, they may break our bodies, um, but they need not dominate our minds. Oh, C.S. Lewis was prophetic, prophetic in so many ways. What, what, where was that written? Which book? Uh, it was, it was uh, the Unliving uh, in an Atomic Age. Uh, oh, it was okay. just an essay. Okay. It's just an essay he wrote. Okay. Yeah. All right. It was beautiful. And thank you once again, the Oxford Don... Uh, for sharing with us how important it is. And stop and think about this. C.S. Lewis was a soldier in World War II. He understood 
he, excuse me. No, he was a soldier, a young man in World War One. He was in the trenches of World War One, and then he delivered his Mere Christianity uh, broadcast on the uh, BBC during World War Two. My point is, C.S. Lewis understood crisis that you and I and most people listening to this program have never experienced. Lewis understood crisis, and he understood the obligation of the body of Christ in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And Everett, uh, in the earlier part of the article, he said, um, you know, how are we to live in this uh coronavirus age. I'm, of course, I'm swapping out the word atomic and putting in coronavirus. He said, I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would having lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night? (laughs) Yeah, we are soft. We are a soft culture. We're used to the comfort of Western civilization, the comfort of the United States, the security that we enjoy. And there's, uh, I was reading another quote, this uh, J.C. Ryle um, said this, that grace, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, grace is not simply the absence of conflict. There is something much more important for peace in the world, and that is truth. We need to recognize that the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of Scripture, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's sovereignty, the truth of God's God's omniscience, the truth of God's protection is much more important than security and a peaceful existence. Truth is so much more powerful and important to the human soul and human eternity, our eternity, than simple comfort and peace. Mm Mm-hmm. Everett, how do you process some of the changes that have gone on with, like, the 30-day ban, and now NHL is suspending the season, and the NBA is the same? Major League Baseball is saying we're pushing back a couple of weeks. You know, when you start to see all of those get suspended, that's something like I've never remembered. So what what are your thoughts on all that? Well, my wife is much more of a positive optimist than I am, and (laughs) here was her read on this stuff. She said, maybe, you know, in spite of the overreaction, in spite of the hysteria, in spite of this panic, um, maybe this actually will be used in God's providence to slow this thing down to such a dramatic point and basically stop it in its tracks. Then in a month, we'll all be sitting back and chuckling and laughing because it's gone or whatever's there has been controlled. Maybe this overreaction can be used um, by God to save us from ourselves. I, that's my wife's read on it. I'd like to believe that maybe she's got something there. Mm-hmm. And I think, the obviously, the goal is just try to get this thing contained and stopped. We don't want to uh, spread it anymore. Uh, and if we act with dis- decisiveness, hopefully that will get it uh, slowing down quickly. Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, yeah, I've got a cold right now. <laughs> so am I going to run into the hospital and get tested? Am I, I, no, I've got a cold. I went and bought some NyQuil, a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm taking care of myself, and I'm trying not to go in places where if I sneeze or if I cough, I'm making other people feel uncomfortable. Because, you know, if I do, they're all going to panic, and they're all going to wonder why I'm there. So, you know, it's normal life. I assume a lot of people get a cold. It's going to be allergy season soon. When you have that sneeze, when you have that cough, when you have that sore throat, when you have those runny eyes, you know what, folks? It probably isn't anything to panic over. It's probably what you had a thousand times. Relax, take care of yourself, 
and just remember, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I've heard some stories, Everett, where people have been quarantined or self-quarantined or had to be home for a couple of weeks, and they sort of complain about, you know, TV's not good and Netflix is, is boring. And I think to myself, if I had two weeks and my Bible, I'd be so happy. Yeah. Here's the other thing. I started out by saying we've got other viruses in our culture. Well, your TV is probably one of them. Is it a good idea to turn the TV off and read a few books that you've had in your library that you <laughs> haven't gotten to yet? Yeah. It's probably a good idea to delve into Scripture a little bit more than you normally would. It's probably good to realize that the greatest virus for the human soul is sin. It's not the coronavirus. It's vice. And that we have a responsibility to address those viruses viruses through confession. You can control perhaps the coronavirus through quarantine. You know the way to control the real virus that kills the human soul, vice? You control that through confession. Do you think uh, the uh, situation is being handled well at state and local levels? I think... You know, I think it's politicized by the mainstream media, and Mm -hmm. if it were a different president and a different party that was in control, I don't think you would see as much negative reporting, and thus the hysteria would be less. I think we've got proof of that. You go back to SARS. How was it reported? Much differently than we're seeing now. Is it being handled well? I think it is. I've watched some of the press uh, conferences with HHS director and otherwise. I don't think it's fair to act like somehow we can just push a button, we can click an app, and cure disease. You can't. There are unknown things in life. This is one of them. And you can't blame an individual, whether it's Donald Trump or even Barack Obama, for the spread of a virus. I think they're doing what they can. Mm-hmm. Everett, I so appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for making time. And I hope your cold gets better, and I hope it gets better soon. <laughs> Thank you. I think it will. I'm drowning in NyQuil right now. Yeah, well, it does help at night. You know, if you sleep, you're on the road to recovery, wouldn't you say? Uh, I, I, I'm sleeping like a baby, and don't worry, I don't think you can get the coronavirus over the cell phone. I think everybody's safe right now nah, listening to me. I think so. Dr. Everett Piper's been my guest, and uh, thank you so much. I'll talk to you again hopefully soon. All right, blessings. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you. Now, on March 26th, coming up on Thursday, we're going to have a gathering, and it's going to be, I think, 75 people, so it's going to be a nice uh, group size. We're going to talk about living in a post-Christian America, and my guest will be Dr. Peter Kapsner and Dr. Jim Bilby. Tickets are free. All you have to do is go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you'll see the live event on the right side of the page. All you do is click on that and say, I'd love to have a seat at that. That's going to be a fun night. It's going to start at 7 o'clock. We'll have a short time for uh, fellowship at 6.30. The program will start at 7. We'll record the event, just so you know, and we'll replay it on this show probably within the next week after that. So, Uh, Just make time to come. I'd love to meet you in person, and I would love to uh, have you be part of this live event with Dr. Peter Kapsner and Dr. Jim Bilby. It's going to be a great, uh, great night. All right, we'll take a short break and then be back with Dr. Ann Bradley. on Faith Radio.
Nice to have uh, Dr. Ann Bradley back on the show. Uh, I think over the last week or so with what's been going on in our economy, it's been very interesting to see all the developments. And I'm not guessing Ann will have all the answers for us, but she's an economist with the Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics and a regular guest on the show and a person that I, I trust. So I thought she'd be a great guest to have on today. Ann, welcome. Hi, Bill. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Now, uh, boy, the world has changed overnight, hasn't it? It really has. It's incredible. When I look at the stock market and I look at the economics of the fallout from suspended travel and um, the NHL now being suspended and the NBA and uh, mm. all the uh, gatherings, you start to think, okay, there's going to be some serious financial impact. I think that's right. I mean, I think it's, I, I would, would like to start off by saying, I think the worst thing we can do is panic. Um, because I think fear causes us to do things without thinking them through uh, as much as we would otherwise. So I think that's really the first step. But I do think we need to be prepared for what is likely to be in front of us, um, which is, you know, a, um, a stock market that's depressed to some extent. Um, and you'll you'll see more. Um, the Federal Reserve responded today. Um, to try to ease the losses that were felt this morning in the stock market. So I think that um, we're going to see probably more of those governmental steps taken to try to soften the blow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that we're going to see a slower market. I think people are going to retreat inward. Um, I, I know in my area we're seeing, you know, people standing outside of Costco this morning at, you know, 10 a.m. waiting for it to open to buy toilet paper and things like this. I'm not sure all of that is necessary yet, but I would say let's keep level heads and pray about it. And most importantly, keep ourselves safe, right? So washing our hands and doing those kind of basic things is probably the, one of the best things we can do right now. Mm -hmm. And you give great advice saying not to panic, but hasn't that ship already sailed with the, <laughs> the, you know, the t stock market turning upside down and people lining up at Costco to buy 72 rolls of toilet paper? Yeah, maybe. But I mean, each day is a new day to decide not to panic. I think. Okay, good. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I, I agree with you. So I went to sleep last night and my kids had school. Um, my kids go to private school. Public schools had decided on March 20th they were going to close to uh, make an assessment about what teachers might need to do to be prepared to switch to online classes. Mm -hmm. uh, I also I was prepared to give a midterm to my students. In fact, right now, as we speak. So I was ready for all those things, and I woke up this morning, and at 6 a.m., I was told my kids are not going back to school till at least March 20th. George Mason is entirely switching to online, so I'm not giving a midterm, at least in person, and um, that the public schools have shut down till March 20th. So really, overnight, everything has changed, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but I do think we haven't, you know, every day is a new day to not panic and to take precautionary steps. I really do think that's important, but knowing the risks is is important too. So I think if you're above the age of 60, you need to probably take very different steps than you do if you're, you know, in your 40s or 30s or 20s. Um, and even we're seeing children are not having, this, it's not having the same impact on children. So I think spreading or, you know, kind of contagion is, is important and keeping ourselves safe. Mm -hmm. Do you think the social media platforms and the 24-hour news cycle has inflamed all of this uh, mild hysteria? I'm, I saw uh, Dave Ramsey this morning on the news, and he was saying uh, 
when Y2K happened, uh, the stock market mm-hmm. went from 13000 to 6000 And everybody, you know, was saying, you know, the end of the world and you've got to buy junk silver and stuff it under your mattress. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, boom, then the next thing, the market is up to 30000 Now it's down again. So, um, right. you know, when you say don't panic, uh, I think that's the best counsel out there. Well, and I think we probably need to turn off the news. We haven't had the news on at all today in our house because um, I don't want the children to be afraid. They don't even really know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're still little. They're 10 and 6, so they're little. But, I mean, I do think we all need to turn off the TV and turn off Twitter. Twitter is the place where this gets – there's no boundaries. There's no guardrails so people can say anything they want. And if that's all you're doing is is looking at the news or reading Twitter feeds or whatever – I think it's natural just to get more afraid and to do these kinds of things. So, yes, I think the 24-hour news cycle for this and many other things is not always our friend. And I think we get kind of addicted to hearing what what just happened, what just happened. I I have said this before about other things, um, but I think we like bad news. I'm not sure why bad news seems to sell better than good news. Mm -hmm. You know, if I was to publish a book saying – here's 10 reasons to be an optimist about the future. Everything's going to be fine. I don't know that that would fly off the shelves in the way, you know, here's 10 reasons to run and cover. The world is coming to an end. So people get much more motivated by bad news. And so, again, I think we start to take steps that aren't rational. Y2K is such a great example, too, because, and my students actually asked me this last week uh, when we were discussing it. They said, could the fear of the coronavirus affect the stock market? And I said, absolutely, because the stock market is a reaction to how people are feeling. Yeah. And and the good news is, as you said, it will recover. I mean, I would say our financial advisor has said, if you have money right now, buy stocks. Because the stock market will always recover. Right. And so the optimism is, if you have some, go buy, go buy some stocks because, you know, this is a giant, robust economy and it's going to recover. And I, so I think we need to hold on to that, you know, until we get there. Mm-hmm. I saw that there were a lot of um, Italians in northern Italy sold their leather goods and their textile companies to China. And that uh, Italy allowed then a, a huge influx of Chinese, especially from the Wuhan district, to move to Italy to work in these factories. And these have direct flights from Wuhan. So maybe there's not a big surprise that there's a, that, that's a, a hot spot in Europe. It's possible. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know much about that part of it, but I do think, you know, taking really easy precautions about international travel, especially to a place like Italy um, or China right now, just makes good sense. Um, that Again, I think that goes back, to, and that's probably what the president was talking about last night in kind of um, w- with the flight bans and things like this. I think it's just the best we can do is slow down the spread um, while you know, what we need is medical experts to be working very, very quickly, um, and, and they have been. So I read an article today that said that in the last month, 164 academic medical journal, journal articles have come out across the globe by 700 authors. And that's what you want to see is research scientists getting on this really mm-hmm. fast because that's going to be how we get out of this. Yeah. And does it from you look at all the goods that we get from China and medicines and antibiotics and and over the counter drugs like uh, uh, headache pain relievers and all that 
they do wield a fair amount of influence as to um, the medical supply here in our country. That's not always a good idea and probably never has been. So why don't we, as the U.S. of A., want to produce these ourselves? Well, that's such a great question. And to me, this comes down to kind of some of the, the things we talk about when we think about trade uh, in economies. And so I think that you never want to be solely dependent on yourself and you never want to be solely dependent on another country. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason you never, and that sounds counterintuitive to say you don't want to be solely dependent on yourself. And the reason I say that is because um, we're not capable of producing everything that we need for our country um, by ourselves. Trade allows us to consume more things at lower cost, um, but it opens up these threats, these potential threats. And these pandemics are rare, um, so I would also encourage us to keep that in mind. Um, you know, this is not kind of an everyday occurrence. But you don't want to be solely dependent on one other economy either because of things like this, right? So if you do have to start isolating trade, which I don't think we're there, um, then, you know, you don't want to have nothing to to replace it. And so I think this is why when economists think about global trade, we think about this global interconnectedness where we don't have to just get things from China in the short run, but there's other places we can get them. And maybe if we needed to produce them at home, we could temporarily. Um, but, but that's the beauty of what I call kind of trade interdependence. Um, and economies, this is not about the coronavirus, but economies like Venezuela are precise examples of what goes wrong when you have all your eggs in one basket. So Venezuela put all their money on oil and became authoritarians. This is, of course, mm. both of those things are bad ideas. And so... When you stop wealth creation and the global oil economy changes, which, of course, it has um, in the last 20 years, then your economy starts to tank and you don't have anything else to do readily. And so this is why the the interconnectedness of global trade actually is our best protection. Yeah. If one country has a problem, you have a workaround. Yeah. And as an economist, do you look at China and see them as a suspicious character? I want to pick apart that question a little bit. Yeah. Um, so my kind of my you know kind of short answer is no, um, and my more nuanced answer is when we talk about China, we're talking about 1.3 billion fellow human beings, and I want us to think about it that way. So okay. who are the suspicious characters? The government agents, of right. course they are. And so I think we really should be worried about what are they doing. Um, are they going to play fair? You know, all of these questions are absolutely legitimate. And, of course, um, President Trump has been dealing with this. President Obama had dealt with it. It's not a new problem. So, you know, we're I think we're that's a political type of question and an economic type of question. But as far as most people in China are not kind of suspicious characters, in fact, what I think we want for them is to be relieved from this authoritarianism that they live under. The best way that that can happen is for them to grow their income. And the best way for that to happen is for us to continue trading with them. So that economic growth is really over history, over human history. The best defeat of tyranny and authoritarianism is economic growth, individual economic growth, because it's hard to be tyrannical over people who have choices, right, who have 
the power to leave. And so I think we need to be careful when we think about the question you asked. Yeah. I think the way we treat the government and the way we act towards people, Chinese people should be very different. I so appreciate that answer. Dr. Ann Bradley is my guest. I'm going to take a very short break and we'll be right back with Ann. Back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Ann Bradley as my guest. She's from the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. TIFWE.org is the place to go learn more about her. And she is a professor and an author. And whenever I need um, light shown on an economic situation, I go to Ann. And it's uh, the world's been in topsy turvy economically for the last, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks. I still go back to China and I think they suppressed the doctor who said, We have a problem here. And they wanted him to go away. I think they imprisoned him, and he's since died. But uh, they have not been super transparent. Uh, they must be uh, held accountable on some level for this, don't you think? I absolutely agree, yes. Um, and so there might be short-term political uh, measures that can be taken to try to push that back that behavior. But I think you're absolutely right. Is um, You know, China wants to be a player on the world market. And when things like this happen, there's two ways to react and what you described is one way, and that's the way we don't want them to react, which is to cover it up, to imprison, to hide, to pretend it's a non-problem. Because um, meanwhile, the, you know, the real issue, which is the virus, gets out of control and it starts to spread globally. Um, so I think stopping travel, keeping people in place, both, domestic, you know, both in China but here domestically too – Staying put, um, I think, will really help. But I, I agree with you. I mean, the Chinese government does not make it easy. Yeah. The only, I mean, I think the hope that we have is they do want to, they want to be a world player. They've become a middle income country, which is a new phenomenon. Uh, that's really only since, you know, post-1978. And they're not there yet. And really the, the China question, as some people call it, is, is we don't know the answer. Are they going to obtain economic freedom and democracy? It's possible. But is it likely? You know, I don't I don't know. I don't know that I would bet on that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, because authoritarians, when when their power is threatened, what do they do? They double down. And this is your story is an example of that. Um, and so getting that political behavior to change is, is absolutely essential. Yeah. And would you explain to us the Federal Reserve and what they did? And did they do it too early? And are they pumping money for short term borrowing markets? Uh and then how is that going to benefit and boost the economy? So these are good questions. Uh, I think the answers, you know, are, are unknown at this point. We don't know what's going to happen. But Federal Reserve Bank um, basically is responding to what they're calling a kind of highly unusual disruption in the U.S. economy. 
Um, they're already calling it a bear market. We're already, you know, predicting that some type of a recession um, is going to follow. The stock market's been down the past couple of days, so everybody kind of understands that. And so basically what they're doing right now to address those issues is they're putting about $1.5 trillion into the market. Um, and this will be a way um, for banks to give loans. And so the idea is to increase the liquidity, and that's kind of the way we talk about it, increase the money that's available in the economy. And the hope is that this stimulates some investments, it stimulates some purchasing, and it kind of you know, greases the wheels of the economy so that it gets back on track. Um, that, that, that's the strategy. I guess part of your question is, is it going to work? Um, is it premature is one of the things you asked as well. I think here's my take on it right now. Yes, the stock market was down uh, a lot this morning. It's, I think it was down by 8% or something, and now it's back. It's only down 5%. So you can see an announcement like this has an immediate reaction. But in some ways, it's artificial, and I think that's what we should be worried about. Can these short-term interventions actually stimulate Economic growth in the long run, I'm very skeptical about that. They might stimulate some short-term investments. But, I mean, stock markets are a synthesis of what people believe about the future. They are, they are a culmination of how people feel. And so it is normal and rational for people to kind of draw out of the market when they're worried about the future. But I honestly don't know that those worries would have been long-lived, at least not permanently. I don't think we're going to go into a depression or anything. I'm not an expert. So, you know, there's other, you know, people at the Fed know more than I know about the predictions for the future. But this is just kind of based on economic theory, which is that I think the problem with these artificial interventions is sometimes you don't only need one, then you need another, and you need another, and you need another because, you know, you're not actually stimulating what we call real demand. You're stimulating artificial demand. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, when you get pain medicine in the hospital, that doesn't last forever. So you need more and you need more. And the only way the pain will ultimately go away is if you heal the underlying problem. So I think this is like pain medicine rather than how do we let the market correct itself and part of that is what we started out talking about, easing the panic, mm -hmm. not lining up for the toilet paper, because you probably don't need six months worth. <laughs> it's okay. You know? Um, so just be kind of behaving normally, um, I think, would help us. And that will, that will translate into how the stock market behaves, too. So it does really kind of come down to us and mm. how we're behaving. Yeah. And what is it like when the economy was, is, is strong, it still is strong, but there is a certain mindset where there's momentum and then the momentum is interrupted like it is right now. Yeah. How long does it take for people to get back into the, I want things to be good again mentality? Yeah. Well, I can tell you something right now. Um, this is going to sound like I'm being, you know, making a joke, but right now, you know, all of us in Loudoun County are looking at our kids being home for nine days. And I can tell you right now, that parents, you know, it's like now I have to entertain and we have to have the crafts and we have to do all this stuff. That alone <laughs> will make people want to go back to normal. So it sounds funny, but it's actually true. You know, at first people are like, oh, thank goodness we did this. And then they say, well, maybe it's okay. Yeah. Maybe it's better, right? So stock markets can go up and down radically from one day to the next. So I don't think the recovery has to be slow. What I do think it will depend on 
is what is going on in terms of these closures. So you mentioned, I think, hockey is now canceled. The NBA is canceled. March Madness is going on, but without fans, Mm -hmm. if I understand it correctly. So this stuff actually makes people afraid. And I'm not not judging the, the, the call. You have to make the call what you think is safe. Right. Um, But I think it kind of fuels the fear. So once that settles a little bit and universities are all going to be closed or probably online. So these kind of things, once that dust settles around that, I think it would be easy to recover. But that's I say that with a big caveat of we'll have to see what what happens with the virus in terms of the, the mortality rate, how the mortality rate, if it changes, those types of things. So if if the mortality rate starts to spike then I think, you know, we might not, the recovery could be lower. But I don't, I don't expect that. And, and just based on what I've read from the World Health Organization and things like this, I think if you can engage in effective contagion, you can actually slow this thing down. Mm-hmm. And do you find any scripture that comes to mind uh, that is reassuring for you and for us? Well, gosh, I mean, there's there's so many, I think. I, I don't even know if I can <laughs> pick yeah. one. But I think when I look through Scripture and I hear what the message is, I was telling this to my children the other day, um, you know, fear is a devil's tactic. Yeah, it is. Fear is the devil's tool to pull us away from Jesus. And I really think we have to stand firm in not being afraid taking reasonable steps and knowing that God is sovereign over this whole universe, the whole universe. And so he's bigger than everything that we're worried about right now. Mm-hmm. So that's not a Bible verse. Per no, se, I, but I, I know, but it's a good answer. Know? It's it's really how faith pl- plays a role in our views of uh, the present and the future. Yep. Can't give in to fear. Yeah. And it's um, at times for people, when you see in the news, everything that's being canceled and you're being told to stay put. That's a new mindset for a lot of people. I don't ever remember in my lifetime them canceling sporting seasons. No, it seems. And, you know, there's a big financial loss that comes with that. Oh, right. So that's a pretty hard decision to make. You know, if you're the NBA, you don't want to make that decision. And so, yeah, that that's where you see that kind of ripple into the economy. So I agree. But I think even in spite of that, we need to trust. And we also need to be generous because there are people who I'm really worried about is the elderly population. I mean, I've kind of been talking to my parents every day saying, you know, we'll do your shopping for you. Don't go out because that's a more vulnerable crowd. So how can we be generous? How can we give to food banks? How can, how can we help people who are still healthy right now and have means? I think there's a lot we can each do in our own community and that will help us stave off the fear. It's such a incredible opportunity to show the love of Christ to so many. It really is. Yeah. Your words have been so encouraging, Ann. Thank you so much for taking time to do the the show. And my pleasure. Yeah. And good uh, blessings on your family and your parents and your kids at home for nine days. (laughs) Thank you. We'll be thinking of you. We need the prayer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Thanks, Ann. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Dr. Ann Bradley has been my guest. You can go to tifwe.org to learn more about her. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks to all my guests. I want to just close with a word of prayer. Father, there's a lot of unanswered questions in the world, but you have granted us insights of your deep and amazing truth about grace and salvation and hope. We will keep our eyes fixed on you. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow.
Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.